Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air! Deep to right! It is gone! This presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network is brought to you by Trust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. All right, everybody, welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We got some work to do tonight. No sense dancing around things. No sense not talking about what's out there in front of the White Sox right now. They are down 0-2 to the Houston Astros in the ALDS. There is a lot of work in front of them to get back into this series and hopefully, hopefully, Take Game 5 in Houston because that is what is in front of the White Sox so far after losing Game 1 of the series 6-1 to and then yesterday 9-4. to Got a plan for the show, and the plan involves you first and foremost. I'll let you know what we're up to in just a second, but here are the particulars. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. This is White Sox Weekly. You want to talk a little socks? You want to talk what they're up against, what you've seen so far, and what you got to see coming into tomorrow night's game, the blackout game, first one since 2008? I want to hear from you. 312-332-3776. James Fegan, who covers the White Sox for The Athletic, one of the best beat writers out there, in my opinion. I mean, listen, the entire... I've always said that White Sox... And this is, only, this is not just because I get a lot of the White Sox beat reporters on the show on White Sox Weekly and talk with them and see them every day. Uh, I really do think that White Sox fans are blessed with one heck of a beat. They've got some really good reporters working a whole bunch of different angles, covering the team, covering the team you love. Uh, We're glad to be a little bit a part of that. But I think James is one of the really good ones out there covering baseball right now. We're going to talk to him at 6.30. He has granted us the use of his time, and we'll bring him to you in just a little bit. Uh, Also, I I know that the White Sox are down 0-2. But I, I want to try and bring you back to the head state everybody was in as we started this series against the Astros. And in an effort to do that, I, I think we'll do something really cool in the 7 o'clock hour toward the end of the show. Uh, our producer, Eric Ostrowski, who has been bringing you White Sox baseball all season long and will continue to do so right up until the final minute of the season, whenever that happens to be. Uh, he put together a season-long highlight reel that is its just awesome. I mean, if you're a White Sox, it just kind of hits you. It just... It hits. So we'll bring you that toward the end of the eight o'clock, uh, rather end of the seven o'clock hour or so. We've got two hours to talk White Sox here tonight. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Sox fans, you can lock in your seats for the two thousand twenty two season with a ticket package and get postseason access for twenty twenty one. The times now. Don't miss any of the action to come. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets or call three one two six seven four one thousand. One way or another, this White Sox team is one that's structured and set up to get into the playoffs for years to come, even if it's an 0-2 situation against the Astros right now. Um, I'll open it up to you, and we'll start where you want to. I've got a couple of things that I want to get in on right away, or at least in a couple of minutes, I suppose. We've got a couple of callers on right now, and I figure why not just open things up to White Sox fans off the bat uh, here in the ALDS and facing a tough situation against a very good ball club, down 0-2 to the Astros. I want to hear what you think first and foremost. So we head out to the south side. And it's Larry leading things off on White Sox Weekly. Hey, Larry, Sean, can we put Larry on pause real quick? Just put him back on hold. Ah, we lost Larry. So, 
There is one quick rule to calling into the show. Larry, call back. I know you're listening because I can hear you. You have to put your radio uh, on mute while you're talking into the show. I love you for calling. All appreciated. And maybe we should have laid out the ground rules first. Because if you're, if you're listening to the radio while I'm talking to you, there's this. I mean, listen, I want a contest, so I don't know exactly the technical terms. But there's feedback that happens, and I can't hear you, and you can't hear me. So we'll get back to Lair in just a second. I, I think this about the first two games that the White Sox have played so far. They have had hits, 11 of them in game two, seven of them in game one. They've got hits. They've put the barrel on the baseball. But none of those hits have gone for extra bases yet in this series. That is 18 hits in total in this series against the Astros, which if I'd have told you 18 hits across the first two games, knowing that Lance McCullers was going to, going to do what he did in game one. I think a lot of White Sox fans, I think the White Sox themselves would have said, we can live with 18 hits across two games. Because that means you're probably winning one of them. But unfortunately, no extra base power has kind of left the White Sox needing to string together singles. And while that can be done, no doubt about it, it's tougher. It's tougher to do. It's why you see so many people pay for home, so many organizations pay for homers. You know, the ball gets out of there pretty quickly. Guy rounds around the bases rather quickly. Or if you're David Ortiz, you take four and a half minutes. And then you score a run at the end of the thing. On the south side, it's Larry. Larry, you're back on and still leading us off. What's up, my man? Yes. Uh, my thing is this. I know uh, that, that fifth inning. That fifth inning. You talking about one game one or game two, Larry, just to be clear? Game two. That fifth inning. Well, well, you put the head to shut down any. After they just scored three runs, right? Yeah. I know, I, they ain't no but that was supposed to be the shutdown in. Yep. Now, how in the heck? And they got Rick, 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 Rick all uh, took a lot of slack for this last year. How do you not, when when Lucas was in the third and fourth, when those stressful innings, he was able to get out of them? Mm-hmm. How do you not have somebody warming up in that bullpen? Kopech. Kopech should have sure. been warming up in that fifth inning, especially after he walked the first guy. And after the second guy, he shouldn't have been allowed to walk the second guy. Some, he should have been in that. Starting on that mound. So how do you, how do you explain that? Uh, Renteria took a lot of uh, flag. But how, how does the Russo get away with that? Well, Larry, I appreciate the phone call, man. I, I think it's a fair point. I can tell you how the White Sox have talked about it, how Tony and, and Lucas have talked about it so far. And actually, we'll, we'll hear from uh, T.A. and from Lucas Giolito in the, in the postgame after yesterday's game in just a little bit on the show. We'll talk with James Fegan at 630, and we'll bring you that after. I mean, T.A. and Lucas after that. But I'll tell you this, and I just want to clarify one thing Larry said there. Uh, Lucas came back out for the fifth after he batted. Sean, Sean Davis, our producer today. Sean and I were just talking about it before the show. Lucas fought his butt off in those first four innings. I mean, he did. You could see it. He was, you know, it, and it wasn't that he didn't have anything. He did. But was also trying to work around some of the, I don't know that his fastball command was where he wanted it to be, especially in the third and fourth innings that he pitched. Uh, yeah, the third and fourth inning they pitched. Early on, he struck out the side. That slider, let me tell you. That slider looked as good as I've seen Lucas's slider work. I didn't watch a whole lot of White Sox in 2019. I was doing a different job, and it was you know a little bit of a different schedule. But I, man, I I don't know that I've seen Lucas's slider work like that. It was on point, but I think the fastball command got him in trouble a little bit. And when he got behind counts, especially in the third and fourth, now you're looking at that Houston Astros lineup going, okay, I got to get something over here. But this slider is so good that, I, you know, maybe they don't bite at this thing because I'm ahead in the count. So they're taking that for a strike. Now i got to come back with the fastball. And the fastball is really what worries you 
against that Astros lineup. You've seen what they're able to do with it. So I think the count got him a little bit there. And I think, you know, just quite frankly, you know, let's talk about this the way it is. That Astros team is very good. It's a very good, dangerous, deep lineup. It takes a lot of care to get through that thing, especially in a playoff series within the kind of, uh, kind of state you want to be in. Now, to Larry's point about the fifth inning, Lucas comes back out for the fifth. And I was somewhat surprised by it, not to say that he couldn't have handled And that's the leadoff man, right? It's Altuve and Brantley and Bregman are the three batters he faced. And I think at that point, you know, I've gone back over this a bunch of times over the last, you know, what is it, 36 hours now. <laughs> not even. Tw- almost 24. Um, I think two things. We found out that Dylan Cease is going to be the Game 3 starter tomorrow night against the Astros in Game 3, win or go home. I have to imagine, and, and only because this happened already once in the season and Carlos Rodon's you know, last start and second to last start, Michael Koprek was there as a backup for him. And it is, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate, I suppose, that the White Sox are in a situation with Carlos where you're going, okay, we, we want you to be healthy and make a start because we've seen what you can do, even if you're not throwing 98, 99, and 100. But if you come out there and it isn't, you know, it, and it's a four-inning kind of day for you, you come out there and it's 90-91. We have to protect ourselves against that. I mean, you understand that, right? I imagine Carlos would go, well, yeah, you know, I get that. Our best way to protect ourselves, the White Sox' best way to protect themselves in a situation like that is having Michael Kopech to back him up. I, I would guess, and this is, you know, this is just me guessing, but I would guess that's something that has to be in the back of everybody's mind. So Lucas walks the leadoff man, Jose Altuve, game two yesterday. Gets a fly out by Michael Brantley. Altuve doesn't tag, by the way, which I thought was going to be hopefully a turning point there if the White Sox could get a ground ball out. Walked Alex Bregman. Jordan Alvarez was walked by Garrett Crochet and then the single by Yuli Gurriel uh, right up the middle to score two and bring the Astros back up ahead, or or tie it back up, I should say, 4-4. I think, you know, if you had to do things over again, I think the White Sox would probably look for a point to get either Liam Hendricks or Michael Kopech into a game where you're, where you're really working hard, where you're really working hard to, to salt away that win. But at a certain point, you might have to think about the next day going forward and staying alive with the state the rotation's in. Now this. That part's done now, right? I mean, that whole trying to... They are in... The White Sox are now in and every inning matters... Every game matters. Every moment, every pitch matters. And I know you can say that about the playoffs and kind of mean it, but it's not the same when you're starting game one as when you're down 0-2. It's not the same when you're starting game two, down 0-1, as when you come back home for game three, facing it with your back against the wall. And to be quite honest with you, I think something Lucas Giolito said in the postgame last night kind of speaks to this team. I get that it's hard. It is not unprecedented. I get that it's difficult to come back from 0-2. The White Sox have won three games in a row before this year. Why would you ask them to have their minds in any other place? Why would you ask them to look at any other spot than, than what they've done before, what they've been able to accomplish as a group, and go out and try to do it again? Dylan C. said today, we're not mopey or anything. We have to do everything we can to perform at a high level. The pressure is going to be high, but that's the playoffs. That's what we're prepared for. like that attitude. As for Carlos Rodon, earlier today, uh, you know, Carlos has had that bullpen session, and it sounds like it's a, it's a maybe four. 
Cease is going to start three for sure. You would guess that it's going to be Carlos. I, I suppose it could change. And the only reason I say that is because I, the Carlos Rodon's situation has been in flux for a couple of weeks now, right? Anyway, Rodon said this. I think it's going to be a little different than the last couple of times, talking about his next start, game four. I feel like the adrenaline's going to carry me through. I feel good right now. I think I'm going to have the stuff I had before. I'll just get him the ball. Out in LaGrange, it's Nestor. Nestor, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up, my man? Hey, Connor. Uh, yeah, I think uh, one thing that's been kind of talked about all year is that, you know, this team just hasn't been great on the road and hasn't been great against good teams. And you just mentioned that the Astros are a very good team. They have a very good lineup. You can't make the mistakes against the Astros defensively and in the middle of the game in the bullpen, whether you blame it on the Russo or just lack of performance by the middle relievers. Uh, and you have to be able to do more than get 18 singles against a team that's as good as the Astros. And I think it was kind of talked around and walked around all year that, hey, that they haven't beaten good teams, but that's why the Astros swept them in the regular season. I guess we were hoping for a miracle that Giolito and Lance Lynn were just going to go lights out and go seven innings with, with no runs, but that usually doesn't happen. And I, I just don't see Cease kind of has a record of being good against the Twins and the Kansas City and the Tigers. And I just don't know if he's going to be up to shutting down the Astros because the Astros just are a better team. I think we just kind of call it how it is. So, Nestor, hang on the air with me. Hold on a sec. i got a couple questions. I agree with some of your points, and I, I, I want to push you on some others, right? And I think it's something, you know, I, I know you. You are a, a smart White Sox fan. You pay attention to a lot of things. So I'm glad we can talk about this. Did you know that the White Sox had a better winning percentage than the Brewers, Cardinals, and Braves against over 500 teams this season? I did not know that. Right. But I mean, I, I, what, what about the teams in the American League, though? No, fair. Well, the Red Sox were also below 500 against teams over 500, and I think I think it's fair to ask. I think that's the right, you know, that's that's a that's the right follow up question to ask there. But I also think this, you know, that that 04, that that sweep series in Houston, no Aloy Jimenez, no Luis Robert, and you've seen what Robert can do and how he matters in this lineup. I mean, my God, the guy is. I mean. If you need a big hit right now. He's hit a lot of singles. That's true. And Aloy's kind of, Aloy, hit, maybe, maybe it's the injury, but Aloy is not Aloy. No, not no doubt. even in the regular no season. No, I don't think his timing's there. I think he struggled to find his timing. I think low and slow away matters a little bit. But, I mean, if you need a big hit right, if, if the White Sox need a big hit in game three, do you want anybody other than Luis Robert up there at the plate? Well, no, 100%. I mean, that's the first guy, there. right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's where I'm at, too. Yeah, 100%. But I, like I said, I just think as an overall team, when, again, or maybe it's just, okay, so you take the, I guess, the below 500 in the, the road, and then maybe they should have pushed harder to get home field advantage. But, you know, I think you when you look at it, a team like the Astros are just, uh, and again, maybe the Sox will be there as they progress and these guys develop and mature, but the Astros are a much more solid team overall. The Sox, as well as they did this year in the regular season, have a lot of holes. Seven, eight, nine are not good. Their bullpen is not great, even though it was supposed to be great. And defensively, they're, let's say, slightly below average. I think I think the defensive part is absolutely... Nestor, I appreciate the phone comment, man. You know I do. I love it when you check in. I, I think the defense part is, is absolutely true and something that the White Sox will look at at some point and go, okay, here's where we can take steps. Um, here's where having a guy like Adam Engel all season, Luis Robert all season, really does start to matter quite a bit. Um, and I don't think there's any question that you know, Engel's defense in right. I mean, shoot, the guy could win a gold glove in center. Then you bump him over to right. 
that matters, right? I mean, that's much better defense all across the board and potentially all season long where you can get a lot better results-wise. I also think this, yeah, it's been a lot of singles for the White Sox, and that's, that's tough luck, but the sequencing of that has been tough. Luis Robert towards the top of the lineup has been great, and he's just, I mean, the dude's just on base. I mean, if you look at the two nights he's had, he was hit by pitch in his first A.B., which, you know, it's okay. Then he reaches on an error, which could have been called a single for all that matters. But I, I don't really care. If you reach on an error, that's still, to me, for a lot of guys, that's still a skill set. And with the speed he's got, you could see how it forced a bad throw from Bregman over there at third. Then he singles twice. So he's on base all four times in game one. Then Luis Robert is on base four more times in game two. Single a walk, RBI single, another single and then a ground out 4-3 in the night. If, if nothing else, and I want to try and end you know, as, as many segments as I can here kind of on the upswing, I'll give you this one to start, and we'll take John and Glenn Allen when we come back from a quick break. Luis Robert has been that guy, and not just in two games in the playoffs, but all season since he's come back. And if there's any one thing that, that I think you know, coming into the year you'd have gone, oh, man, I, I really hope this goes right. It would have been Luis Robert fixing the last six weeks of the regular season and getting back to being the guy that was stroking a 475-foot home run against the A's in the playoffs, right? You got that going for you, which is nice. This is White Sox League. Come back with a couple phone calls on the other side, 312-332-3776. I'm Connor McKnight. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome back to the show. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Sox fans, get your hands on all the 2021 postseason gear at the Chicago Sports Depot. Your postseason hours are Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash depot or follow at White Sox Store on Instagram. You know what I got to get my hands on? It was, and I've seen like, Six people wearing these things over the last like three days. I on the train on my way in today to come do the show. Taking the blue line in, and there's like two dudes, all bunch wearing a bunch of White Sox stuff, and one of them's got the Los White Sox T-shirt jersey thing. It's like the soccer jersey, but it's Los White Sox and it's White Sox. It's, it's so cool. It's such a cool look, and I don't have one, and I gotta find one, and I bet I could get myself one at the Chicago Sports Depot because they have like everything. So I get, note to self, i got to get over there and get one. If you have one, I'm happy for you. Very happy for you. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk a little White Sox tonight? I'm here for you. Uh, 6.30, we'll talk with James Fegan of The Athletic. He covers the team. He was down there in Houston uh, to watch the first two games, and he will for sure be at Guaranteed Rate Field tomorrow evening for Game 3. It's a blackout. Bring it all. I mean, you bring, bring everything you got. It's a, it's a tough spot to be in for the White Sox. We're not going to beat around the bush, but the White Sox have won three in a row this season. They are a capable club, and Dylan Cease might just be the guy to turn the fortunes around for the White Sox in game three. He will be your starter. Out in Glen Ellen, John's been on the line for a little bit. Appreciate you calling in. John, let's talk a little White Sox. What's on your mind? Connor, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Good, good. So, I've watched a lot of White Sox baseball these last two years. I know it. I know it. Um, and it's dis- it's a little disappointing because I don't feel like we've gotten any better. Uh, you know, I think like most fans, we all thought we'd make it at least out of the first round. Now, Houston's a great team, but it doesn't feel like the team has taken advantage of the 
you know, mid-season trades that we've made. I mean, watching how we used Kimbrough through the back half of the year, I was a little shocked that we didn't use him in any closing roles. And then even as you watch the last 18 series we've played, we won a lot of the first game, but mm. not much of the, the actual series itself. Yeah, The teams just didn't feel to play. Very, they weren't playing to their strength. And I just wonder if we got any better from last year. And now are we in a worse scenario because we've traded away some of the assets that have made us the team that we were? So I'm curious to get your thoughts on you know, what the future looks like here because I, I think it's, it's – it's a little gloomy. I don't know if we get past this series. Interesting. John, that's an interesting perspective. Well, I'll tell you this, man. I, I appreciate the phone call. Um, I'm going to save looking forward to the next season, to 2022, when until until we're looking at 2022. when we're going to spend a lot of time in the offseason, whenever that happens, looking at what the White Sox have and don't have for 2022 and where they're headed, the state of the system, all that kind of stuff. We will get there. I promise you this. But I, I do think Chuck Garfine and I have talked about this a little bit just kind of while we're you know waiting to talk to the White Sox players and coaches and stuff down on the field. Let's say, just do the thought exercise with me, right? The White Sox have created a rebuild and a system and a top tier of players and a middle tier of players that can support them and a third tier of players that fill in for everybody else. You know, you guys like Brian Goodwin and Billy Hamilton, guys that you needed at certain points this year because of all the injuries that got that were accumulated, right? Let's say you've got a five-year window, right? Maybe it's longer than that. You know, maybe as long as Luis Robert lives and breathes, the White Sox have chances in the playoffs, right? It could be that way. But let's say you've got a five-year window. I don't think, me personally, I don't think that means that you wait and see until you're at year five and then use all the resources you have to make this one last push for the year five championship because you hadn't got there in the past. I'm, this, I'm hypothetical in here, but you see where I'm going. I think you got to treat each one of those seasons like it's your only chance, like it's your best chance, with very few exceptions. And you know, coming up to the trade deadline, I was kind of I was one of the guys saying, "I am not moving Andrew Vaughn. I am not moving Kopech." Other than that, I, I was kind of open to things because I think flags fly forever, and you got to push in to win this championship, the one that's in front of you. Because everything else, nothing else is promised to you. Not any single part of a season. The fact that the White Sox overcame the injuries they did this year to make the move they did for the AL Central into the playoffs and all that kind of stuff, remarkable. Why stop there? And they didn't. They added the best reliever on the market, they added an acceptable second base replacement who had won a gold glove last year and had one of the more offen- the, the best offensive seasons of his life up to that point. And it hasn't worked out for Cesar Hernandez over the last two months. I mean, the results speak for themselves. But he's played pretty decent defensively. And, and the fact that, you know, Leiri gets to start over him really speaks to the season Leiri's had as much as anything else, especially the last, like, you know, two months. I think you push in. I really do. Nick Madrigal... As high as a lot of people are on Nick Madrigal, Nick Madrigal could not help you in 2021, period. The guy wasn't healthy and able to play, and that sucks for Nick. It really does, because I know the kid a little bit, and I know what he, he, I know how he felt about this organization that brought him a chance at Major League Baseball and how much he wanted to be a part of a winner. But that's out of your hands, so you make the move, I think, to win the championship in front of you. I hope that answers the question as best as possible, and I hope you understand that I... 
you know, I don't want to go into, well, what's next and how do you build the next champion until we know we're not looking at one right now. I mean, if they author a comeback story like this, I'll tell you what the perspective is going to be on this White Sox team. Like, oh, boy, look out. Because they just took three from the Astros. And they feel capable of doing it. And until they haven't, I think you'll leave the possibility open. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. John, stay on the line. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk with James Fegan of The Athletic. We'll take phone calls down the way. We've got Eric Ostrowski's season-long highlight reel for the White Sox on the way out of here. You'll hear from Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito in their post-game press conference yesterday, kind of foreshadowing the feeling toward tomorrow. That's all coming up. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Ask your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans in celebration of the postseason, the first 40,000 fans at the first ALDS home game. That's tomorrow night. We'll receive a White Sox rally towel presented by Beggar's Pizza and Xfinity. Visit www.whitesox.com slash postseason for more information. We head out to the phone lines and bring in our first guest of the show. It's James Fegan of The Athletic. You know him. You love him. You should read every word that he writes because it's all meticulously researched. James, sometimes you just got to talk to somebody, man. And tonight it's it's you and me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you you really interrupted me for my dinner of a, a can of Ready Whip. So what, what do you have? <laughs> that's... That is uh that's a night, man. A whole can? <laughs> Fat free um, or are you going like are they full full diesel? All right, I'm putting it away. You okay. you've embarrassed me. <laughs> no, no. Not at all. You shouldn't be embarrassed. Drink your drink or um, you know, shake your ready whip. So the White Sox are down 0-2. Uh obviously they have made the decision to go with Dylan Cease for game three. The um the decision came late, and I wonder what went into I'm sure there are a lot of things, but what went into waiting to this point and making sure that they you know, have everything in a row that they could down 0-2 to start Dylan Cease? Um, I mean, most of the sense, like Dylan told us today that decision came yesterday, but um, ostensibly you're monitoring Carlos Rodon's health um, progressively on a day-to-day basis with every bullpen kind of being analyzed to see where he's at. Um, I suppose that's true of anybody, but especially true of Rodon. And uh, the way, you know, Tony put it just the other day, is that if, you know, Carlos Rodon was at where he was at in early July, you wouldn't really be kind of monitoring this or going moment to moment to figure out what your rotation is. You'd probably have started Carlos Rodon even game one, um, mm. you know, if everything was set in square. So that's probably the most tangible reason. You know, to some degree, you're kind of seeing what you have. You know, they floated the possibility of doing short rest, uh, depending on how the series goes. But I always thought a four-man rotation was most advantageous to them, and apparently that's where they're going even with their backs firmly against the wall. Yeah, so Dylan's going to be that guy that gets the start first home playoff game for the White Sox in a little while. Uh, the the atmosphere, you know, it'll be intense down 0-2, no doubt about it. But Dylan is kind of this, you know, he, he works really hard to be a calm cucumber out there, at least as best he can. Is is he, in some ways, the right guy, the right temperament to take the ball tomorrow night? Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's a stoicism that particularly makes them more immune to, you know, command variances uh, than anyone else. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that type of stuff has happened to him, even though he's been, you know, as chill and as calm as a cucumber, as you put it, uh, kind of throughout his whole career. Um, it, it remains to be seen. You know, he, he showed well against them in July uh, at home. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but, you know, this is a lineup that, uh, 
he's just extraordinarily good at um, extending counts and kind of befuddling strikeout pitchers by fouling stuff off and, and making them work a little bit harder and, and making them kind of run through their pitch count more than they would normally would when they can just blow away guys. Dylan is somebody whose stuff plays up for swinging misses in the zone, so you kind of hope that he's in end to that. He's got the lowest in-zone contact rate, actually second lowest in-zone contact rate in baseball among qualified starters, so maybe you can kind of hope that to the Astros' resistance to chasing pitches doesn't play as well uh, that much here, but you know, number one in his own uh, swing and strike rate is Lucas Giolito, and they still gave him a bit of trouble. So yeah. um, it, it's a little bit strength versus strength, and we'll see how it works out. There is some belief that what what sees his stuff, the quality of it, if he's on, if he's executing. He can kind of dominate anybody, so that's that's obviously what the White Sox have to hope for. That start against Houston, you mentioned, uh, just to refresh White Sox fans' memory on it, it was a five and two thirds, ten strikeouts, three earned, two walks for Dylan. Gave up one home run, hit a batter as well. So, I mean, yeah, you could you could take that start, and you know, if I if I said Dylan will double that tomorrow night, I, I think the White Sox take that given the series, uh, the two games that the Astros have offered him so far. By double that, you mean 20 strikeouts in uh, 11 and a third innings. Correct. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly that. I guess I meant duplicate. Sorry, I think the ready whip's getting to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you don't want to share it. It could be tainted. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I, certainly the way he finished down the stretch uh, the season, you know, maybe discounting the, the rainy Sunday against the Tigers, uh, gives you hope that he can do that. But also at this point, you know, it's, it's somewhat – you know, you can question kind of the path of how they got here, but, you know, it, it, it's a little bit immaterial. They need probably good outings from both Rodon and Cease to survive the season. So the order, you know, obviously the urgency, kind of what your best foot forward to keep yourself alive as long as you can, but it, it's almost immaterial. They both kind of need to shove uh, to keep the White Sox alive. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of where I, I'm thinking next. Like, yeah, the hope is that Dylan Cease can do a, a five and two-thirds, strike out ten, and hold him to three kind of thing, you know, that, that semi-quality start or at least close to it. But, you know, at this point, the White Sox have to manage each and every inning as, it's their, as if it's their last. And I, I would think that applies to all bullpen arms. Does it not? Yeah, certainly. And um, I, I think it's maybe something that's a little bit regrettable you know, I, I, I don't want to boil down the bullpen analysis to uh, did you pitch Michael Kopech or not, and if you did, you did a good job, and if you didn't, you did a bad job. But knowing that these games are back-to-back, and if you pull out that weapon of multi-innings for them, uh, one of these times, you basically can't do it the other night. So I, I think that's why it kind of behooves that there's the opportunity to do it um, in Game 2 in Houston, where there was going to be a day off for uh, the next set of games. Uh, you wanted to pull it out in that situation where you had a lead. As a result, you know, maybe you're kind of holding it for whatever game presents the emergency. It certainly seems with the physical issues, the, you know, the lack of stamina built up just because he hasn't really pitched beyond, you know, 80 pitches in any outing for months now, that's more likely going to be the Radon outing that's going to wind up short that you need Kopex to supplement it. Sure. But you don't want to hold off that weapon if you need it to kind of stay alive in game three uh, when your season's not going to, uh, you know, extend the Monday if you don't have someone rescue. So they're kind of in a tricky place with that. Um, but, that, that's, that's the advantage of going up 2-0, is that the other team kind of has to pull out all the stops uh, until there's no more options. So up 2-0, the Houston Astros are turning to Luis Garcia, who is uh, technically a rookie through the end of this season, or was a, was a rookie through the end of the season, uh, eligible for Rookie of the Year votes. He was solid this year, 155 innings, 3-3 ERA. 
I was really surprised the first time I saw him pitch this season with the quality fastball that he offered. He did throw 12 and a third in the 2020 season. Uh, how does Luis Garcia present to the White Sox in Game 3? Um, he presents as an extremely tough matchup who has kind of flattened his offense before when they saw him in Houston. And I guess primarily the hope is that this is a guy who, you know, being a rookie, uh, technically or otherwise, you know, hit a career high in innings, and you saw him slow down over the course of the second half. And you got to hope that's kind of what's going on with him now. And I think the Astros are somewhat prepared for that possibility and have made his outing, his pitch count, a little bit shorter down the stretch. They've been managing him not as maybe acutely responding to, you know, fatigue like Carlos Rodon, but a little bit showing his performance tailing off in the second half. So you're hoping you're getting a somewhat diminished version of Luis Garcia um, and, and that you know, you're getting to the Astros' bullpen, which is the primary vulnerability you want to attack in the series. Uh, but at the same time, Luis Garcia also shut down an offense that did not have Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert, uh, you know, and whatever garden variety, five injuries the White Sox are dealing with at any point in time over the past six months. So uh, hopefully a, a, a healthier version uh, of this unit, you know, maybe Gavin Sheets rolling, providing some, some left-handed thump, uh, responding to a right-handed, you know, cutter sinker guy uh, can provide you a little bit more weapons. Uh, for somebody who, you know, otherwise has looked like a really excellent starter for years to come. Talking with James Fegan of The Athletic here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Uh, take some phone calls after we're, uh, we're our conversation with James is over, but we're far from it. Uh, we got a whole half can of Ready Whip still to go here. I, I wonder, James, when we look at the offensive performances in the first two from the White Sox, it's 18 hits and all of them singles. It's it's been an issue for the White Sox before that they hit too many ground balls or at points during the season, but it's not. I, I don't look at this series as having just been too many ground balls. Do you? Um, just from the like, from the White Sox offense perspective, I think it's too many. I think they need to Fair. drive the ball in the air more. But I wouldn't say, Luis Robert, you're hitting all singles. You're messing up, man. Uh, fix it because he's got. Uh, four batted balls over 100 miles an hour. He's had the hardest hit ball of every game uh, so far. Uh, so I wouldn't say everybody's in a, in a funk necessarily. And, you know, facing Framber Valdez, who had a 70% ground ball rate, he's basically, you know, what if Aaron Bummer was a starter? It's going to be kind of hard to lift that guy. Um, but it's, it, it, you know, for me, it, it, it functions, uh, especially with someone like Eloy Menez, who is just so deadly with, um, and when he's able to drive the ball in the air, uh, or Jose Abreu, you know Frank Manichino is often expressed as just a a, um, uh, a function of timing and you know play discipline. It's about kind of being caught out front. It's about maybe expanding the zone and getting stuff off the end of the bat. It's not about these guys having you know poor swing plane or you know rejecting launch angle. It's just kind of being about it out of sync generally. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that you know when you're piling hits the way they had the last two games, especially game two, wasn't a bad offensive game, um, but it's not kind of the breakthrough, maximized effort, everybody in this very dangerous lineup getting hot effort that people talk about what it would take for this team to win a World Series. It, this lineup clearly has the thump to kind of put three, four home runs on you when, when things are in sync, and so we haven't seen that yet. So as much as I would say, you know, every time there's hits a, a ground ball single that we're crying bloody murder, it, it, you're not seeing quite everybody on fire in the way that uh, they need to to kind of overwhelm, you know, every every team that they play from here on out, you know, unless the Red Sox get out of the race, is a team that's on paper 
a, a bad matchup for them or better than them. So they really have to get high in the way um, beyond just a, a solid or decent, decent offensive effort to, to best of this competition. As, as an addendum to the postseason series that we're kind of breaking down here, I, I wonder – you know, when you talk to people about Luis Robert, whether they're you know kind of close to the cage during batting practice, those sorts of folks, or just other people around baseball, I I find it remarkable that the guy came back from the injury he did, and then got better as he played the last two and a half months. I mean, the skill set was all there, the raw talent all there, but we we saw and and are seeing now like the actualization of all of those skill sets, well, almost all of those skill sets. And so quickly, it's just it's breathtaking to me. And I wonder how how you've kind of regarded it over the last few weeks. He's ahead of schedule uh, developmentally to me, uh, to people I've talked to. Like the idea to people around baseball that Luis Robert would just go through the rest of his career striking out twenty percent of the time is terrifying. the The idea was that he's going to be a twenty five percent plus guy going forward and that he wouldn't take walks and that obviously the power would be electric and he would have so much speed and uh, so much exit velo that he would hit for a high average, even despite not having great plate discipline. But what he's been able to do in the early going without even the number of reps that were really expected for him to get there has been startling. And I was even, I even just threw it to Frank Manichino the other day, you know, you had him in AAA in 2019 knowing that he was, you know, better than his competition and, you know, he wasn't really learning a ton back there. Did you expect this to all happen so quickly for him? And he said, no, like it, he just, he's very driven. He's very uh, determined. He's very, um, you know, that's the word he put it, pissed off. <laughs> if he goes through a night without a hit, um, this is a guy who's just as quiet and as cool as he is, is very internally motivated. There's a, you know, an inner, some sort of like, aggrieved Dustin Pedroia beating in the heart of a, you know, this otherwise, you know, perfect, you know, idealistic baseball specimen. So I, I, I think he's ahead of schedule and he, he's doing better than uh, what people thought he could do, at least in the early going, which I, I there's the ceiling's always been enormous, but it, it, he's really providing a view for how he could get there. Um, you know, his late twenties will probably be very, very devastating for everyone who's opposing him. The, uh, as Michael Jordan once said, the ceiling is the roof, or at least I think that's what he said. I wonder, with Tim Anderson, you know, now he has, I think it was a Chris Kampka tweet, he has more hits in his first five career playoff games than any other player in baseball. He has proven to be the guy at the top of the lineup that can light things off for the White Sox. He, he just seems to be um, a, a guy that is not, a guy that never shies from a moment, kind of whatever moment that is. And I, I suppose if you're looking for, you know, ways the White Sox get back into things in Game Three, as as much as anything, it it starts with TA. Yes, but also, you know, he's got four hits in the series, and they're down two zero. Like uh, I, I don't, you you'd love to have him hit for more power, even though it's not what he's necessarily supposed to provide for the lineup. Um, but he, he he's getting on base. He's and kind of a menace, plenty. Um, you know, his, his speed is certainly transcendent when it gets put in the play or you give him balls in play when he's on base to, to kind of react to. And he, I think he's already providing that. So I, I think that's what's troubling. You, you just kind of need more from the middle of the order. Um, I, I think he's already giving you the spark that you need to, to um, be in position to kind of break open uh, big gains or big rallies, and it just hasn't happened yet. So I, I, don't, think, I don't think any more can really be asked of, of, of Tim Anderson so far. Uh, from the series, he's he's shown the ability to 
raise his game and make very quick adjustments uh, to very high-level pitching when he's being very uh, meticulously scouted, as you are in these, these series. So that's a credit to him. But um, the, so other, other people have to step up as well. Uh, I think that's what it comes down to because, you know, he, he, he had three hits the other day and uh, they, they lost by five runs. So um, <laughs> other people need to take an action. Well, I wonder if that comes down to, you know, maybe Yasmani Grandal. The, the, the scouting report on him, Seems to have been get him a first pitch breaking ball and throw it for a strike because he's not coming after it. I wonder if it leans to or it leads to him really taking a whack. Um, maybe that first pitch slider that he's going to see or something off speed um, from Garcia early in an at bat because they they have they have kind of turned his um, his good eye somewhat against him in this series. Yeah, it could be. You know, you always are a little worried about taking a hitter out of his mode and what his comfort level is. Um, and uh, certainly with a rookie pitcher facing him, I, I don't know how much you want to get him geared up or out of that mode of, of challenging him to command his stuff. Uh, but yeah, that, that could be something. Uh, at the same time, you know, if Grandal is not working the count for you, if Yohan Mankata is not working the count for you to kind of challenge pitchers and run their count up then really who is in this lineup that's otherwise very aggressive. So I, I understand his feeling of responsibility to kind of work his at-bats um, because I can't say it enough, the vulnerability uh, of this Astros team is the bullpen. You know, they're yeah. they're throwing uh, Phil Maton and Kendall Graveman, who have been very mediocre for them since coming over in the trade deadline and crucial high-leverage innings. That's the situations you want to work them into uh, as much as possible, as much even more than you're trying to – you know, break it open against Luis Garcia. You're trying to get Luis Garcia out of the game. Um, I, I think if you can do stuff to to work the counter and uh, increase the tracks that that happening, that has a lot of value. James, appreciate you as always. I will see you tomorrow night at Guaranteed Rate Field. The White Sox are in a tough spot, but nonetheless, they've been able to pick themselves back up off the ground before this season. We'll see if they can do it again Sunday. All right, I'll bring the can of Ready Whip. We'll we'll, we'll have a time. Thanks, James. Appreciate it as always. That's James Fegan of The Athletic. He is awesome. Go read his stuff at The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at James Fegan. Uh, he is just a, a man at the ready, as it were. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. John, you're first up. We come back from a very quick break. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Waddle's World, weekdays 3.30 on ESPN 1000. Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Sox fans catch the 2021 postseason action from a private diamond suite. Host up to 20 of your closest friends and family and completely customize your food and beverage menu. Oh, man. Food and beverage menu. Get yourself the dessert cart coming through. Sitting there in your private diamond suite in that dessert cart. Oh, there is no, you know, I've been in some cool spots in my life. I have been. There's no sense. You know, I've, I've been in some cool places. But I don't know that I've been in a spot where you feel more like king of the world than when you're in the suite and the diamond and the dessert cart pulls up. I don't, I don't. I think that's maybe maybe as good as it gets. If it's not, it's really close. For more information, call WhiteSox.com slash postseason or call 312-674-1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We're talking White Sox tonight. Want to hear from Sox fans or you know, if you're just cruising around the city of Chicago, maybe you're a baseball fan, maybe you're an NL fan. Shoot, you can even be a Cardinals fan. Give us a ring, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Out to the lines we go in Hyde Park. Awesome neighborhood. It's Sam. What's up, Sam? Connor, what's going on, man? How you feeling? 
I'm feeling great. The first time I called in, I want to say earlier this season, you said you've been to Hyde Park for some pizza on, I think, Dorchester Street. Yeah, 55th and Dorchester, right around there. There you go. So if we take these guys to game five and win it, you got to come down and have a slice of pizza with me. Sounds good to me, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. God, there's a spot down there. I'm going to space on the name. I'll find it. Give me a sec. You talk talk what you want to talk about. Nah, that's not the spot. Or, Although I've been, and that's great. Used to be a place called Ribs and Bibs. That was a barbecue place. Oh, that was the, that oh, was the joint, man. My man, that oh, take that down. <laughs> anyway, what's well, on your mind, socks wise? I'll find I'll find the spot. But yeah, you, you know, I think um, I think Cease is a good choice. I, I think he's you know what what we should, who we should start. But I think there's got to be a quick quick whip with Kopech coming in right behind him. Yeah, I you know, and that's the thing, Sam. I they're gonna have to start four in this series. That's just we know that now, and it's gonna have to go that way. I think there were you know maybe if you take them both in Houston as hard as that would have been, maybe you don't have to do that. But with Kopech, and and I have to think this get it was part of the reasoning yesterday with him not pitching. You you want to try and move Kopech into the Rodon game because of where Carlos has been. But I think you're right, dude. I think at this point, you go inning by inning. And if you need Kopech to help win game three, you're not getting to game four. You don't win game three. I think that's where they're at, you know? Yes, sir. Let's take it. All right. Appreciate you, Sam. I'm just, I'm going to try and find the spot. I think I'm going to need a break to find it. It's got, it's the place in Hyde Park, wherever you get to scratch on the walls and there's all, there's, there's markers and graffiti. They have the best milkshake in the city, I think. It's a Mexican chocolate milkshake. There's all kinds of stuff on the menu. There's a tuna melt and a pizza and the whole thing. For the life of me, I can't remember the spot. My buddy, good friend of mine, used to go to University of Chicago. We'd hop down there for food every day or all the time whenever we were down there. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I'll find it in just a minute. When we come back at 7 o'clock, I want you to hear um, from Lucas Giolito and from Tim Anderson in the postgame yesterday. Uh, let you know what else is up. I'm going to pause it here real quick. Ten seconds for station ID. From the first Midwest Bank studio on State Street, this is WMVP WSAG HD2 Chicago, home of the AL Central champion White Sox. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Sox fans, change the game with us this October. Rep the South Side. Wear black and show your Sox pride. Visit whitesox.com slash CTG. For more information, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I have some work to do during the break. Sam asked me a very direct question about the spot I owe to in Hyde Park. I'm going to find it, I promise. I know you're much more interested in the White Sox. And that's where we're headed as soon as we come back from a quick one. You'll hear from Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito. We've also got the season-long highlight package that our guy Eric Ostrowski put together for us as we were getting into the playoffs. I know a lot of people uh, have had a chance to hear it on our flagship station, ESPN 1000, but we, as a network, haven't had a chance to play it yet uh, just because this is our our first White Sox Weekly, this one here on Saturday. Uh, So I want to because it's darn good work and it's a lot of fun and there's no reason to not think about the White Sox regular season that got us to this point, even though it is going to be some tough work to get out of an 0-2 hole against the Astros starting on Sunday night. So that's what we're coming back with. One more hour of White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. 
If you're a manufacturer dealing with metal, then you have scrap that needs to be recycled. And if you're not getting paid on time or getting the best price, try the Greenway. Greenway Metal Recycling, Chicagoland's most reliable industrial scrap metal company. With Greenway, you get paid in less than five days. Not five weeks or five months, five days. Contact Greenway Metal Recycling and never worry about getting paid. GreenwayMetalRecycling.com. Improve your scrap metal program. Go green with Greenway. GreenwayMetalRecycling.com. Okay, bankers, listen up. I want discounts for my phone and I want roadside assistance. Okay, you got it. All around Chicago, people are waking up to a better way to bank. With Marquette Bank, get help with roadside assistance up to four times a year. Plus, access to discounts for shopping, restaurants, and more with Marquette Bank's Fun Rewards app. Learn more at emarquettebank.com backslash fun rewards. Marquette Bank, member FDIC. Certain restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Dan Fields with Fields BMW. The truth is, cars are hard to come by today. We're inviting you to stop by and check out our BMW inventory. And if you don't find the BMW in stock, our representative will help you build a new BMW and then order it. It's that simple. And when you order your car, they'll never pay a premium price. So right now is a good time to get a great price like this. For a limited time, lease a new 2021 BMW 228i X-Drive Grand Coupe Loaner for only $327 a month at Fields BMW Northfield. Go to fieldsbmwnorthfield.com. At American Sale, the best time to buy is right now during our Fall into Savings event. High-quality items must be sold, and you can save up to 60%. See store for details. American Sale has the best selection of pools, patio furniture, hot tubs, and grills. And now is the best time to buy. Best selection, highest quality, and you'll always get our lowest price guarantee. American Sale. Bring the fun home. Follow us on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox and Astros game three, an all-important, everything on the line, pull out all the stops, game three is coming up tomorrow night. Here's our plans on the network. Pre-game show is going to start at 6.30 like usual. But then we've got a 7.07 first pitch. Dylan Cease and Luis Garcia. We are just talking with James Fegan of The Athletic. He covers the White Sox and does a darn good job of it. Oh, by the way, um, if you're tuned into White Sox Weekly and kind of maybe you're catching us new because 6 to 8 p.m. isn't our usual spot, you know, usually on earlier in the afternoon and during the offseason, it's 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And we hope that offseason schedule starts in about a month. But the, if you're hearing us for the first time and you're like, oh, this is cool, a little White Sox talk, go check out the ESPN Chicago app download it every one of our shows on the flagship station and all of the white Sox content that we do here on the network is downloadable podcast form ready for you whenever you want through the espn chicago app it's super cool you just you know you open the thing and then it plays the station you can search through all the tabs you know all of our shows and here on white Sox weekly if you missed the interview with james fegan or maybe you were halfway through and you're like oh what were they talking about with the whole ready whip can thing that's weird you can find the inside jokes that we have throughout the show that we've kind of built up over the years as well um had some great guests on over the last little bit in fact our last regular season white Sox weekly this is the first postseason one, uh, had Lucas Giolito on. We talked quite a bit about the season that was and his year, his second half specifically, all that kind of stuff. It was a really good talk with Lucas. Sox fans, you can now schedule your scoreboard message for this postseason. Celebrate your big moments on the big screen this October with a personalized message. All proceeds benefit White Sox charities. Visit WhiteSox.com slash scoreboard 
to purchase your message today. So, anyway, uh, pregame show at 6.30 tomorrow night. Game is, of course, at Guaranteed Rate Field. First pitch, 7.07. Dylan Cease and Luis Garcia are the matchup. And I just mentioned, uh, we were talking with James, rather, that in the middle of July, I want to say it was the 17th, although I clicked off the page right now, but I remember the stats. Dylan threw five and two-thirds against the Astros. He gave up three runs. He hit a batter. He struck out ten. He gave up one home run. Um, and like I said, three earned runs. You know, I, I think what makes this Astros lineup such a difficult one, and the White Sox have seen this all year long, or all, 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 all postseason long, is that they, they just, it's really difficult to strike this team out. It is so hard to get swings and misses when they really matter late in counts. You know, Lucas had a, a lot of swings and misses in his start, um, but only four strikeouts and four walks, uh, pardon, five walks. So, you know, that's, that is, it's not the balance you're looking for. If you go sort through uh, just the total strikeouts, right? I'm not going to do rate numbers or anything like that. You can if you want, but um, I'm just looking at total numbers right now. In the regular season, 162 games, 55 or 5,600 at-bats, you know, whatever you come out to as a team, it's right around 5,500, 5,600 at the most. The Houston Astros have the second lowest strikeout total in baseball. If you sort by OPS, that's on-base plus slugging, although I know you know that, they have the second highest total in baseball. Weirdly, the Toronto Blue Jays are the only team that struck out less and the only team with a higher OPS. All that to say how the Blue Jays missed the playoffs with that kind of offense is just, wow, that's really stunning. It's a really good Houston Astros offense. And I'm hoping, you know, I know the White Sox are too, and Dylan ceases to a certain degree, that the, the way Dylan can work around the strike zone, even if he does get a little wild at times, he has the kind of swing and miss stuff that maybe this Astros lineup just needs to see. I, I think, you know, obviously we talked about this with James, and I think we've seen this throughout the playoffs. I mean, shoot, we've got a couple of games going on right now. Um, but there, there aren't a lot of deep starts. Lance McCullers going six and two-thirds might be one of the longer starts you see in this postseason just because of how quick the hook comes from management. How deep these bullpen bullpens are, and just kind of the way you know baseball has been trending over the last few years. So I think for the White Sox, especially in Game Three, and obviously the you know the hope is that Dylan can handle a couple of innings and give a little bit of a um, little bit of length to his start because it's always easier when you do you keep your team in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I I think it's going to have to be all hands on deck. Liam Hendricks pitched uh, in the ninth inning in game two, unfortunately in a situation where the White Sox needed a whole lot in their half of the ninth. Sorry, he pitched in the eighth, but the White Sox needed a whole lot in the ninth. They were down five. Got a base runner, but went one, two, three after that. Hendricks was just breathing fire. I mean, he got a fly out, two strikeouts. He was throwing what looked like 112. It was actually about 99-100. But the dude was pumping gas, and I, I would imagine that even if you were in a situation where... You're in the sixth, couple runners on, game on the line kind of thing. I, I would think Liam is, is, a, is a potential pitcher in that situation too. I don't know that you have the luxury of, of hoping for assigned roles as much as you just have to look at situations and let those dictate uh, the pitchers that you're bringing in. Obviously, you, you hope to be in different situations, right? You hope to have a lead, in which case you're able to use the pitcher you want in the situation you dictate. 
But as runners get on, and, and, and I don't expect this Houston Astros lineup to let up much, they are a little bit of a different team away from home than they are at home. Some are. The White Sox are very much the same. And I think that there's some things that you can kind of like, you know, look at game three and go, okay, here's what the White Sox have going for you. Here's a list. Ready? Luis Garcia, who's going to make his, um, who's going to make the start for the Astros, is a rookie yet. He has pitched, not in the postseason yet. He's still waiting to get in there. He pitched like two, two innings in the ALCS against the Tampa Bay Rays last year. He walked two guys, struck out one. Very, you know, small, little bit of stuff. He's got a taste of the postseason. But you bring him in, hopefully, to a hostile environment. Not, you know, hostile. Just loud. And a blackout. Where White Sox fans are in it to win it. You know what I'm talking about? Hopefully that gets to the kid. You know, if you're the White Sox, you know, hopefully you create an environment. You use home field advantage the way you want to use home field advantage. So maybe that helps a little bit. The White Sox have the best home record in baseball. 53-28. and 28. Nobody's won more games at their own ballpark. Nobody. So you hope that turns. Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito pointed out a couple of other things where, and this is after game two. So, you know, the questions are real. And make no mistake, the White Sox are in a real situation right now. Down 0-2 to the Houston Astros. That is a tough spot to come back from. But as you'll hear with T.A. and with Lucas in their postgame press conferences last night, they're looking at all the positives as best they can. So, without any further ado, here are, and it's both of them up at the table at the same point, so you're going to hear answers back and forth between each guy. I trust at this point in the season, you can identify who's Tim and who's Lucas in a post-game press conference, but here they are, Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito after game two. Hey guys, uh, this is for both of you. I know how confident and what a strong belief you guys have had in your team all season, so what is the mindset now? What was the message in the clubhouse after going down 0-2 in a best-of-five in this series? Um... I mean, yeah, our back against the wall right now. Um, you know, we know what we got to do. We know we got to take care of business. Um, you know, we just got to keep fighting, keep pushing. Uh, you know, we fell up short today, um, but we competed. We competed at a high level. Um, but, you know, uh, hope things will get better. Things will get better. Um, you know, uh, it's good to head back home for sure. Yeah, we, we got to win three games in a row. It wouldn't be the first time that happened this year. So... Like T.A. said, we just keep battling. Turns it back on the aisle. Uh, that's kind of a question for both of you guys, too, from different perspectives. How, how frustrating is it to watch the way the Astros keep collecting hits, just a lot of ground balls up the middle? I mean, sometimes in pretty big holes where you guys have kind of positioned differently. Yeah. Um, no, it's a tough lineup. Um, you know, they got a good lineup. And, um, you know, it seems like they've been doing their homework. Um, but, you know, we just got to keep battling, man, keep competing. And um, we'll, we'll get to where we need to be. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're good bat to ball. Um, you know, it looked like they were trying to shoot the ball a few times today. It worked out for them. It's just baseball. It goes, like, it goes that way sometimes. Maddie in the middle. You guys talk about confidence in this team, and obviously you've had the whole year, et cetera, to build that up. But when you look at the past couple of days, what moments stand out to you where you can pull on that in, in terms of why you're so confident going back to Chicago now? All the hits. <laughs> we pay attention to all the hits. Um, you know, we know what kind of ball club we are. Uh, we know what we can do. Um, there's never no pressure. 
um, and the moment's never too big. Um, so we just got to keep battling them and uh, keep picking one another up and keep enjoying the moment. I'd say specifically the first inning today, um, you know, we jumped on them, score a run, one, two, three inning. Uh, you know, if we stay focused and we stay positive and stay confident, then we can pile on innings like that. And so that's the plan going forward. On the right towards the back. Lucas, obviously when a team can fall off pitches and extend at bats, uh, you know, the chance of a walk goes up. What did you feel like kind of went awry in, in the fifth? Um, maybe trying to do too much. Uh, I, I, good idea was probably my last inning. And, you know, we had just put up runs. I wanted to get the shutdown. Uh, you know, it's a different environment here than, than what I'm used to. So I got some valuable experience today. Uh, just kind of reining it in and making sure the focus is to the target. Uh, yeah, too many waste pitches. Tyler in the back. Tim, as you said, you guys had quite a few hits today, but they also took away a lot of hits on that side. First of all, leading off the game, did you think that ball was going through for a hit? And just in general, your impressions of the Houston defense? Uh, no, I know I know where these guys play me. Uh, they usually play me up the middle. Um, but no, I knew I had to you know, get down the line and try to beat it out. Um, and nothing's given at this moment. They're not going to give me anything. i got to earn it, and I understand that. On the right, in the middle. Guys, you both have talked since the beginning of spring training about how badly you wanted to, to go on a long run uh, this this October. How badly do you not want it to end on Sunday? Yeah, it ain't over. <laughs> you know, that's one thing about it, it ain't over. We still got a shot. And, uh, you know, we're going to compete. And we know our back against the wall. So, uh, you know, these guys are going to wake up and we're going to be ready to play. And one more over here on the right. This question for both of you, just uh, how much of a difference can it make just to go back and play a, a home playoff game versus being here? Yeah, you know, ain't nothing like being at home. <laughs> ain't nothing like being at home. And, uh, you know, can't wait to get back. You know, it's going to be the first one since 2008. So uh, I'm pretty sure the play's going to be rocking. Yeah, I'm excited for our fans. I know, I know they've been waiting for it. Um, yeah, I think they'll show out pretty good on Sunday. That's Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito in the postgame after last night's loss to the Astros. Obviously, the Sox are down 0-2, but there are a couple of things in there that, you know, whether it's from Tim or from Lucas, you just think about the some of the leaders on this team, some of the guys who are, I don't know, more out in front or others, or, or, or maybe even just you know, asked to talk more than others. Um, guys like Jose Abreu, guys like Tim Anderson, guys like Lucas Giolito, you, you hear them say what it is that they're, they're saying here. You, you understand the situation they're in as athletes, right? I mean, nobody gets to this level without a deep and, you know, at times unfailing belief in their abilities and the abilities of those around them. At a certain point, you have to be able to tell yourself, I am better than everyone else in this room, and I will eat alive anyone who tells me differently, right? I mean, just you have to be that kind of twisted at some point to get to that elite level of performance. At the same time, you know, you... To have a guy like Tim, like Lucas, like Jose, and others on this club that are, you know, kind of that steady, positive, push forward, we are what we are, we can be what we can be, kind of that, that kind of hand on the tiller, that matters a lot. And I, I have seen it before where there are other teams that either have to force something like that or, or create something like that out of a place where it doesn't actually exist. And that stuff crumbles. You know, that stuff goes away. It doesn't. 
it, it doesn't last. And fortunately for the White Sox, we have seen that last. You know, that has been proven over the run of 162 games that we watched them play this year. When we come back from a break, I want to get into a matchup spot or a, a matchup aspect of this Astros and White Sox series that has, to this point, played to the Astros' advantage but may just turn in Game 3 and hopefully going forward. So I'll bring you that when we come back. What more are your phone calls to? 312-332-3776. It's your show as much as anything else. Sox down 0-2. Want to talk about what's most important to you as the Sox try and claw back from a pretty tough spot here in the ALDS. Oh, also, uh, before we get out of here, and we'll start at right about 745, 746, the season-long highlight reel that Eric Ostrowski put together for us, for you and me here on the on the network. Uh, that's coming up about 745, so you want to stay tuned for that. It is awesome. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN 1000. You got White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Go hit the post. I don't that. Totally unintentional. Talking White Sox tonight, down 0-2 to the Astros, of course. Game 3 coming up tomorrow night. It's a 6.30 pregame show, 7.07 first pitch. You'll hear from Len Casper and Darren Jackson right as we get started on the pregame show, and they will obviously bring you all the play-by-play action uh, starting right at 7 o'clock. Again, first pitch, 7.07. The matchup there is set. It'll be Dylan Cease for the White Sox, and it'll be Luis Garcia for the Astros. And I told you I wanted to get into some matchup issues or a, a matchup that I, I thought might um, spin a little bit for the White Sox coming into this third game of the series. Or at least it needs to in order for the White Sox to take one game uh, and extend their year. They are in a win-or-go-home situation, obviously. So the offense has put together eight, 18 hits in two games. None of them have been for extra bases, which, you know, you, you look at some of the knocks that haven't been and even some of the singles that were – Kyle Tucker makes a really nice play in right field on a Yasmani Grandal fly ball that, you know, he, he, the reason Tucker made a nice play on it is because he kind of undercut the route, readjusted, and used his athleticism to make up for what, what was a, a kind of a bad route. If that gets by him, that's extra bases, even with Grandal running, right? Um, and Grandal's still looking for, uh, for an impactful knock in this series. You uh, also have a, just an absolute missile off the bat of Yoan Mankata. But Yuli Gurriel is playing the line at first because he's holding a runner on, and my memory passes on who that was. I'll look it up. I was looking at a different spot on my scorebook. Appreciate, I apologize. But anyway, that, that ball's a screaming one-hopper, and Gurriel flags it down. That's right. Steps on first, and he's able to get Aloy Jimenez in a rundown. That's a double play where it, it could have easily, in a different situation, been a double down the line. There was another rope hit to Bregman. That gets recorded for an out as opposed to doubles, uh, extra bases. But those are going down the line. And I, I, you know, I think I probably hear what you're saying. Wow, Connor, if, ifs and nuts, right? That kind of stuff. Well, I get it, but that's kind of how baseball rolls, too. You look at the Astros and some of the singles that they've had. They have found holes. Maybe the White Sox can look through the last two games and go, okay, maybe the defensive charts need to change a little bit. Maybe we're off some. Maybe we're, we're seeing them do something different than we'd expected them to do. You know, there's not a lot of, like... Um, you know, in, in, in football, you'll see, ah, you, you, Belichick does this, right? What was the, Sean will remember this, I can't remember. There's a Super Bowl where Belichick had been playing the 3-4 all season long, and then in the Super Bowl, he switches it up. Was that the one against Jake DeLome? 
He switches it up because, ah, now we're a 4-3 defense. He poured the looms out there going, none of this is on tape. There's not a lot of that in baseball. You know, there's, there's not a lot of that in baseball. But there are some things you can do kind of approach-wise. You change some things up. You can see, I, I think, the Astros working Yasmani Grandal in a pretty specific way. They know how patient he is and how dangerous he can be late in at-bats while he's being patient. Well, the Astros, it looks like, have opted to throw, you know, some pretty nasty breaking balls, four strikes, or nasty enough, I guess, for strikes early on in the count. And when you're down 0-1, specifically to a curveball that you're, uh, Yasmani doesn't usually swing at because he's looking for something, you know, that he can do damage on. And a first-pitch breaking ball typically isn't that one, you know, unless it's a real hang him and bang him situation. So they've gotten ahead of Grandall. And that's taken the stick out of his hands a little bit. Well, there's an adjustment back to that. And I asked James Fegan about it earlier. You know, I, I think there's a, you know, potential... Not in every at-bat. I'm not saying Grandal or anybody else needs to come up there who had had a patient approach and go like, okay, here it is, that first pitch, I'm going. I'm letting it eat. Maybe, maybe one of the at-bats, though. You know, maybe you do take your opportunity. You take that chance where you go, okay, you ready for that breaking ball, and when it comes, if it does, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to get the driver out. That is not a, you know, I don't profess that to be, a panacea situation. That's not a cure-all. That's not something that obviously or that, that automatically turns the White Sox fortunes around. But it's a little strategic matchup kind of thing. That the you you could see the White Sox flip and perhaps take advantage of. I want to dig in a little bit to Luis Garcia here. He's the the matchup for the White Sox. The guy that the Sox are going to have to hit and hit early uh, because that's the way to get into the Houston bullpen. Which you know as, as Vegan said earlier when we were talking to him, and as I kind of pointed out in both postgame shows, you've seen Phil Maton twice in this series. That's great. You wanted to see Phil Maton twice. Uh, it didn't work out your way. But if you want to see Phil again in Game 3, or even Ryan Presley or Kendall Graveman to a certain point, maybe less Presley and more Graveman, you want to see those guys again? At Fantastic. That's great. You want to see those guys out of the Astros' pen because you should be able to do damage against them. And if you are seeing them, it's hopefully in a spot where you're up. Now, back to Luis Garcia. He's going to make the start for the Astros tomorrow night. He is still technically a rookie. He has been good this year. But as the workload has really kind of piled up, 155, 156 innings for Luis Garcia this year. He threw 12 innings last year. You know, last year's a weird. He was thrown at the alt site but got into 12 innings last year. Um, he's been good. He made the start June 18th against the White Sox. It was in the middle of that four-game sweep by Houston against the White Sox in the middle of June while they were playing the Sox, were playing some of their worst baseball, and the Astros really went on a run uh, during that series and after for about uh, two weeks. Anyway, seven innings for Luis Garcia. Sox got one run. They struck out eight times. They walked twice. Seven hits, though. Kind of indicative. Here's the, here's the lineup on the 18th of June against Luis Garcia for the White Sox. This is not Game Three's lineup. This is not tomorrow. I don't have a crystal ball. But here's how it lined up that day for the White Sox against Luis Garcia. Tim Anderson was the leadoff man. He was one for four. Brian Goodwin hit second. He was one for four. Had a double in the first. Came around to score the only run for the White Sox that day. This was also, if you need more memory jog, this was Carlos Rodon's start against Houston. This was the 2-1 game. This is where Carlos was just on one. I think he took a no-hitter into the fifth. Yuan Mankata was the three-hitter that day. He was one for four. 
Jose Abreu was batting four, one for three with a walk. He had the RBI. Big surprise, right? Jose Abreu drove in a run. He had the RBI single that was in the first against Garcia. Yasmani Grandal was DHing. Jake Lamb was in right. Andrew Vaughn was in left. He came out in the eighth for Adam Engel. It was a close game, looking to get defense in. Zach Collins was catching, and Danny Mendick was at second base. It's a long way around of saying that Luis Garcia hasn't seen Luis Robert yet, and hopefully that's a good thing for the White Sox. I think it is. He hadn't seen Eloy Jimenez either, and you know Eloy is in and has been over the last couple of weeks of the season in a little bit of funk. Off-speed, low and away, is getting him some, and he's at this point susceptible to hitting things to the left side of the infield um, and, and ground outs. But, you know, if I've, if, I've, if I've seen anything, it's that the postseason lends itself to quick turnarounds because the pressure is amped. You know, the time is now. Remember last offseason, or I shouldn't say last offseason, last postseason, Tim Anderson came into the playoffs kind of dragging, wasn't playing all that well in the last two weeks of the year. The whole team had kind of let themselves, you know, and Lucas has talked about this a bit. Tim has talked about this a bit. They weren't pleased with how they ended 2020. Tim Anderson sent, sent a day in the cage. In fact, you can read about this. James Fegan, who was our last guest, wrote about it. T.A. spent the day in the cage between the end of the season and the start of the playoffs against the A's and then had nine hits in three games. doesn't work like that for everybody, but it can. And, and those are the kind of things, those are the kind of little um, – turnaround things that you start to see guys do not just like you know over the long haul of a season kind of trust the swing trust the work and all that kind of stuff they do that as well but you're looking for everything in a situation like this it actually brings up another so yes money grandall you remember he was a triple a rehabbing finally came back to the white Sox, and then went on a ridiculous tear for like three four weeks just absolutely out of his mind productive. Well, the interesting part about that is, you know, he was he was ready to go play and then wanted, you know, kind of one more day in the minors to work a couple of things out because he had found something in the cage that morning that was like, oh, I get it. This I'm doing this, but what I ought to do is this. I think he was trying to clear out the hips a little bit quicker, really cover some inside pitches some. So spent that day in the cage, got into his AAA start, the last one, ended up... Ended up getting ejected from that start because he had some speaks with the home plate umpire about the strike zone uh, and got chucked. So he goes back early without even having a bat in his final AAA start. But he still did the work in the cage and had that kind of aha moment. It can work that way. We've seen that in playoffs past. We've seen guys absolutely turn it around and come out of nowhere. And the White Sox aren't looking for coming out of nowhere performances. I guess that's... I guess that's where you can, at the very least, take a look at Game 3 and go, they're not looking for something they haven't done all season. They're looking to do what they've done all season. And that's put up a big number. That's have that one game where you break out offensively and have the bullpen lock things down toward the back end, whether that's with Liam or, or Craig or anybody else. Because you know, I think it is all hands on deck here. It has to be, right? I mean, you're down 0-2, any loss into the season. So it's everybody who's... Everything. You throw it at the Astros. I, I think to that end, you know, you're going to see some high-pressure moments tomorrow night. You're going to have some moments, and I, I think we've already seen it in the first two games, obviously, some moments where 
you know, that, that battle between your fandom, uh, the season that was, the promise that existed, the, the potential that this team still has going into these playoffs next year and beyond, right? All of these things, all of that stuff's going to be in your head, in your brain, in your stomach, in your heart. And I guess in that moment, as difficult as it's going to be, and believe me, I understand how difficult it can be. Think about how cool it is to be there. Think about how cool it is to have it on. Think about how cool it is to have your friends and family, your White Sox fans around you as you watch this and realize, you know, what this means to be watching it, to be experiencing it. Maybe if you're at the ball game, to be, you know, there and part of the atmosphere. Maybe you don't like to take it in with friends and family. Maybe you're not a go to the bar or go to a friend's house and watch. Maybe you got to have complete and utter silence in the basement, you and the TV, and letting DJ on the radio in the background. Maybe that's, maybe that's how you take in your playoff games. I don't necessarily, but think like for a moment, if you can, if for no other reason than just some, some dude yakking on the radio told you to, find a minute, maybe it's going to be early in that game, find a minute to think about how cool this is. That from the beginning of the season, you, had a reason, you, you, you could expect the White Sox. You had a reason to believe the White Sox were going to be in the playoffs, and they are. And I think when you head into 2022, whenever you got to start doing that, whenever we have to start doing this on the show, start thinking about 2022 on the show, I think you're going to have those same expectations. And there aren't a lot of teams in this game that get to do that. The White Sox are one of them. So for a moment, even if it is brief, and your stomach's in knots and your heart's in your throat, think about how cool that is. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. If you want to talk a little White Sox, we got more time for you. 745-ish or so. We're going to play the season-long highlight reel that was put together by our very own producer, Eric Ostrowski. He did a bang-up job on the thing. It's awesome. You're going to want to hear it. It's the first time we're going to be able to play it here on the network. Really looking forward to that. When we come back, still more on the White Sox and Astros. Your phone calls welcome. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Captain J. Hood, 7 to 10 mornings, ESPN 1000. Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Playoffs are going on right now. The Sox, of course, down 0-2 to the Astros. Everybody's getting ready for Game 3 tomorrow night. It is going to be quite the atmosphere with the blackout and everything at Guaranteed Rate Field. Obviously, it's uh, it's winner go home. You know, the White Sox know that. They've talked about it quite a bit today at their workout at Guaranteed Rate Field. And last night, uh, after the loss to the Astros, Dylan Cease makes the start for the White Sox in Game 3. And it sure sounds like Carlos Rodon is going to go in Game 4. Um, Tony La Russa hadn't said, yes, Carlos will make the start. It's just that things are looking good for Carlos. And I think, you know, rightly so, uh, they're keeping things close to the chest. Do you keep things close to the chest or is it close to the vest? Because I've heard people say it both ways and it really weirds me out. What if I'm not wearing a vest? Where do I keep things then if I don't want you looking at them? Regardless, close to the vest. But Carlos Rodon is that guy and, you know, he said for his part, uh, he's feeling better Feels like with the adrenaline and everything else, he can be closer to that guy that you saw in the middle of the season uh, as opposed to the dude that was making a couple starts and trying to get by with something other than 96-97. A couple of the scores in the playoffs. I I know we're all very focused on the White Sox and Astros, but looking around here real quickly, the Braves just evened up their series with the Brewers. 3-0 final. Max Freed went six innings, uh, all shut out, struck out nine. Uh, So that series is now even. A little surprising to me. 
Uh, the Brewers had Brandon Woodruff go, and he actually gave up three in his six innings of work. Uh, any, that series is tied at 1-1. Dodgers and Giants get going a little later tonight. That's Julio Urias and Kevin Gossman, the starters there. That game starts in about uh, about a half an hour, I think is what it is. Yeah, half an hour. Uh, Boston and Tampa are tied at one as well. Uh, that series, by the way, that NL series, San Francisco leads the Giants one game to nothing. As as we kind of wrap up the, the yapping portion of White Sox Weekly, because remember, in a couple of minutes, 745, we've got a treat for you. Um, Eric Ostrowski, our producer, put together a season-long highlight reel for the White Sox, and this will be the first time we've got a chance to air it here on the network. And I, and I want to bring that to you because it's a, it's a labor of love from those of us who, who worked hard uh, to bring this season. And it was a pleasure to do it, a privilege to do it, to bring this season to you. Uh, but Eric worked Worked his butt off on this thing. So we're going to bring it to you, and I hope it puts a smile on your face. If you're already planning a special occasion at the ballpark, well, we've got you covered. When you lock in your group outing for 2022, you get priority to the sec- to select the biggest matchups and choose the best space for your group. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. Also, you can enjoy the best views of the ballpark in 2022 with an all-inclusive experience, including or in premium seating. The Guaranteed Rate Club and Wintrust Scout seats include flexible payment plans, postseason options, and more. They're a great place to watch a ball game. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the season-long 2021 highlight reel, which hopefully Eric Ostrowski has something to add on to as the playoffs roll on. That's coming up next on White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN White Sox. It's White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got the season-long highlight reel produced by Eric Ostrowski coming up in just a second. I got one thing for you before we play it. What are the 82 Brewers, the 84 Padres, the 81 Dodgers, the 95 Mariners, the 99 Red Sox, the 01 Yankees, the 03 Red Sox, the 2012 Giants, the 2015 Jays, and the 2017 Yankees all have in common. All of them came back from down 0-2. It can happen. Sox need a lot to get there, and it starts tomorrow night. Some of the reasons the White Sox could come back from down 0-2 are all here in this 2021 highlight reel. Take a listen, think back on the year that has been, and enjoy Tonight, the Chicago White Sox open their 121st season in the American League. It is opening night 21 from Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California, the first of a 162-game journey that many hope will lead to a deep October run for the White Sox. And he pulls one to deep left. That baby will go! Mercedes six for six. I, I believe he's alone in the record books now. Thinking hard every time, almost gonna be hard. Just matter if I just right, just right. Just I want to see the ball on, hit the ball. This is a must listen, must see at bat. As your mean Mercedes will dig in, pitch, ground ball, base hit in the center. Seven for seven. It's like we're watching a magic show. You just can't believe your eyes. Keeping journey. 
The 0-2. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Perfect through eight. I mean, that's where it kind of was like, all right, this is getting a little real. Another 3-2, ground ball to third, Moncada up with it, throw to first, it's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon has no-hit the Cleveland Indians! The 20th no-hitter in Sox history! What a performance, he's being mobbed on the mound by his teammates, they come rushing from the bullpen. He was also close to a perfect game, but a no-hitter will do. The front office believing in me to sign me back. They knew I had something to prove. They knew, you know, I was hungry. I'm just happy that I can prove that I can still play this game and, and play it at the, you know, the level that they thought I was going to be when they drafted me. Romano deals the 1-0. This one a liner into right, and Cease has a third hit. It'll be the bases loaded as they hold Vaughn at third, but Dylan Cease is three for three, DJ. Remember I mentioned he's challenging your main for the record? Straight hits to start a big league career. I, I believe in myself as a hitter, to be honest with you. I didn't think I was going to go out and do that today, but, uh, you know, leading up, I was just very excited to get at bats. Um... But yeah, I, I, I truly don't know how it happened. Swing and a lazy pop-up on the infield. Dozier actually didn't run it first. Oh, no, a bad collision. As Grandall makes a catch in foul territory, Dozier and Abreu absolutely blindly collided. Oh, man, it looked like head-to-head. You could hear it all the way up here in the booth. Just takes your breath away. Oh, my goodness. It was extremely scary in the moment. That was a big collision. And, you know, to see Pito down like that, he doesn't really ever do that. So, you know, he's taking some hits and just gets right back up. After a minute, he did get up, and he said he was fine and could keep playing. But that's the type of player he is. He'll do anything for this team. Infield back. Mercedes takes off for second. The pitch gets away. Here comes Abreu. He will score. White Sox win. They win it. The Royals will challenge the call at the plate. It was close. Headsets are still on. Both teams at their respective dugouts. Many White Sox players are standing outside the dugout, and the call stands! White Sox win, the Royals over in their dugout can't believe it. The final score, the White Sox four, the Royals three. We got to take a breath, pitch. Swing at a high drive out into deep left center. That ball is gone. Mercedes takes Austin Dio deep. 16 to 4. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stay focused on every time. It doesn't matter who's in the mouth. Big mistake. Just by the time the guy started making the pitch, I ran. I took several steps from the dugout onto the field yelling, take, take, take. It's just the way he was set up. It looked to me like he was going to swing. And the whole time he's around the bases, I'm out there and I'm, you know, I was upset because that's not a time to swing 3-0. and 
And he, Duffy just threw behind Mercedes. And that, to me, looked like it might have been on purpose. And all four umpires go right toward the mound. Well, they don't have to issue a warning to eject a pitcher. And that was obviously a purpose pitch. There's no question about it. He threw it behind it. Yep. Uh, the way I see it is uh, for position players on the mound, there are no rules. Let's get the damn game over with. And if you have a problem with whatever happens, then put a pitcher out there. Woodrum a switch hitter batting left, and he swings away and hits a high, deep drive to center. Angle at the wall. He leaps. He made the catch. That would have been a home run. Adam Engel with a great play. Welcome back, Adam. 1-0 is hit a ton out into left center, and Hamilton will make the catch in the mud. A leaping grab on the warning track. That's one of the best catches we've seen. Here's the pitch. Sheets with a blaster right. It's gone. White Sox win it. It was never in question. Gavin Sheets on a 3-1 fastball. He let it go. That's why Tony La Russa let his kids play tonight. He had faith. He is being mobbed at home plate. They just dumped the entire Gatorade bucket on his head. And if he survives this... <laughs> He's going to be a happy man. Man, that was that was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Um, never hit a walk-off home run, so what a good time for him. Angle the tying run. Abreu the go-ahead run. The 0-1. Hit in the air. Tower fly. It's going to go. Aloy Jimenez. I think in the fountain in left center. Whoa, baby. I'm totally happy with feedback. Uh, with the boys, like I say, right now I cannot explain how I feel. Here it is. Fastball driven right. Will it go? Yes, it will. Brian Goodwin with the bat flip and a bottom of the ninth game-winning home run for the White Sox. He got the fastball and a fastball count, and he knew what to do with it. All day long, you dream of being the guy that gets the pitch when you're looking for it, when it counts, and Brian Goodwin is celebrated at home plate. Blessed, blessed to be an opportunity, blessed to, blessed to be on a good team, a fighting team, a scrappy team, one that don't give up. The dream's still alive. There's probably just one question to answer. Is this heaven? Short lead by Sebi. Pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. to be first game ever in Iowa. That's the best game ever played in Iowa. The 0-2, a drive out in the center. It's well hit. Verdugo back. This ball game's over. A home run. Leori. Can you believe it? 2-1 the final. 
straightaway center field over the 400 sign. I feel great, man. I feel great, especially playing at home. This is one of the best uh, moments for me that I'm, I'm in so far. Runner at third. Here's the one-two. Swing and a miss. Sox win the division. They are the American League Central champions. A few hugs, but it's pretty low-key right now on the field. And a lot of handshakes and hugs in the dugout. This does not surprise me, Lynn. I guarantee this is a club that came together and said this is unfinished business. The feeling has had to have been we're going to win the division, but we're not stopping there. And I'm not going to say that that came right from the leader, Tony LaRussa, but I have a feeling that he had something to say, leading his club to believe we got a lot more baseball to play and a lot more great things to accomplish. Feels pretty cool. Obviously, um, it's been on the uh, the forefront of the mind the last little bit, but now it's been confirmed. Now we can actually uh, prep and, and make sure we get ready for the, the playoffs. And uh, I was happy that I was, I was on the mound to make sure it was done. We didn't come here to win a... a you know, the AL Championship, we came here to win a World Series, so I think we're all, we're all pretty locked in for what's, uh, what needs to be done next. It, it only starts here. Uh, you know, this, now it's time for the real baseball. We just got to keep, you know, continue to keep, uh, you know, keep playing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be fun. I'm excited. All those highlights put together by our friend Eric Ostrowski. Big thanks to him for chipping in on that. It's, a, it's an awesome, awesome little thing. And the White Sox have had... One heck of a season, one that obviously everyone here at the network hopes continue because we have a lot of fun bringing White Sox baseball to you, and we hope we have a lot more opportunities to do that. Sox are down 0-2 in the ALDS against the Astros. Game 3 is tomorrow night. If you're just tuning in, cruising around late, two things for you to know. Well, I guess a couple of things before we get out of here. One is uh, if you missed any of White Sox Weekly this evening or any of them from prior, prior sessions, uh, just download the app, the ESPN Chicago app. All of our White Sox Weekly shows and interviews and that highlight reel are all consumable and downloadable on the ESPN Chicago app. Just click on the White Sox Weekly tab. Also this, it's going to be Dylan Cease and Luis Garcia, the starters for the White Sox and Astros tomorrow night. Our pregame show is at 6.30 tomorrow. First pitch is at 7.07. The White Sox look like they intend to start Carlos Rodon in Game 4, but it is all hands on deck in Game 3 in order to get to that point of the postseason. Down 0-2, there have been 10 teams before down 0-2, and I gave you the list before we had the um, the highlight reel play. 10 teams before have come back from 0-2 and gone on deep in the playoffs, to be honest with you. Teams that do that tend to extend their run uh, just a little bit longer than winning that first series as well. So that's all the hope for the White Sox tomorrow night, 7.07, against the Astros. If there's a game four, certainly hope that there is. That's a Monday afternoon game. Jose Urquidy uh, is likely to start that game for Houston, though they've not set that in stone, but it is likely to be Jose Urquidy. And for the White Sox, like I said, likely to be Carlos Rodon and hopefully a whole bunch of bullpen arms ready and rolling to go. It is all hands on deck for the Sox, down 0-2 to the Astros. I want to thank you for having, uh, for having Son here tonight on White Sox Weekly. Thanks to everybody for calling and listening. It was a blast. Big thank you to Sean Davis, our producer. James Fegan of The Athletic was our guest earlier this evening. We thank him for the perspective and the info on the White Sox. 
Game three tomorrow night. It's a blackout. Hope to see you there. If you can't make it, make sure you've got the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox on however you like to listen to White Sox baseball. I'm Connor McKnight, and we'll catch you tomorrow night for more White Sox baseball. Good night.